Lion's Share podcast is supported by corporate sponsors. Uh, if you want to reach out to us and sponsor an episode, you can get us on Twitter at Lion's Share Pod, or else you can contact me directly at uh, TannerWadsworth at gmail.com. So this is our review of Legion of Brothers. Um, it's a Sundance documentary. It covers the events that happened in Afghanistan immediately after 9-11. So the very first troops that, you know, put boots on the ground, it tells their stories. Um, it was a very interesting look at some of those wartime events immediately after uh, the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers. Yeah. That entire part of of the Iraq and uh, Afghanistan conflicts that uh, followed the, the attacks of 9-11, I was, how old was I? I was in fifth grade when the towers came down. I was actually in Japan in fifth grade. I wasn't even in the country. But uh, I was really young. <laughs> and those wars are both still happening. They're still an everyday thing. Um, America's role in those wars is still difficult to explain or difficult to pinpoint or to can. And uh, just American warfare in general has changed dramatically, even in our own lifetimes, that it's it's really both astounding and, and appalling in a lot of ways to me, at least. But this documentary takes a, a tiny, tiny slice of that entire messy, very difficult to to comprehend uh, part of our current human condition. And although I, I will say that I felt like it did have problems with scope, we were talking about that on the ride home, actually, and that it was difficult to, to kind of cohesively put it all together. I was surprised at the just the level of intimacy they were able to to get on screen in several interviews with all these these uh, many of whom now retired Green Berets who were the first people they were America's response team to the towers coming down and uh, <laughs> what I had forgotten about. And, and this is a part of, of the Afghanistan war in particular that I have not read a lot about or learned a lot about in my own study of it, which I do from time to time, um, is that less than 100 people basically evicted the Taliban from Afghanistan in within, honestly, a couple months. This is late 2001, early 2002. By like February 2002, Taliban, who had been in control of Afghanistan since 1996 or something like that were they were no longer in power they no longer ran the roost there and it was less than 100 guys now this documentary follows uh, a couple surviving members of, of two special forces teams two green beret teams who were in country with the the, the first deployment there immediately following um september 11 2001 and uh, gets just some of their you know, it doesn't approach it from, you know, although there's tons of maps being shown throughout it, you know, and places with funky names and stuff like that. We've been in this war for 15 years now, and I still can't show you on a map where Kabul is in, in, in relation to Jalalabad. I think Jalalabad's Say east, that five times fast. East Jalalabad. I'll just call it Jabad. That's what the guys in Lone Survivor called it. Jabad, <laughs> yeah, right. You got a big base there and stuff like that. In Zero Dark Thirty, they talk about Jabad all the time, yeah. Um, <laughs> man, we are lost children educated by movies. <laughs> Well, that's, uh, and trying to spread our lack of knowledge via this podcast. We, so. we are the antithesis of Generation Kill. I don't know what we end up being, but I'm sure there's going to be PhDs that get their doctorates done studying people like us. Um, 
what what you bring up is a a great point that when we tend to think about the war in Afghanistan, we think about this long drawn out conflict and we quagmire, you know, yeah. Vietnam 2.0, all these different failures. Which yeah, there have been a ton of them, and <laughs> we can't document even like a small fraction of them in a, in the short time that we have in these episodes, and that's not our job, and that's <laughs> it's not that kind of podcast. But we, I had forgotten. That initially, American servicemen did a great job, <laughs> and and a lot of extremely important strategic and uh, moral victories occurred, um, just so swiftly and so with such precision, you know. So the project I think was very valuable. I didn't, I didn't love the entire movie. I thought it was well done. But neither did I, honestly. When you see coverage of an ongoing conflict like this, what you tend to see is you see talking heads. And then you see little bits of combat footage, right? So right. the perspective that you have is very much an outsider's view, no matter how well you know the media is covering it. Um, and a lot we of don't have Cronkite anymore, you know. Yeah, and you can't you can't really do that many candid interviews in a war zone. Like it's hard to do. There's, there's... especially this part of the war. You special forces don't have in bed reporters. Mm-hmm. Green Berets don't have people tagging along with cameras to document stuff. The kind of work that they do. <laughs> Less than a hundred people were in country doing this work, and zero of them were journalists. So, it, we don't get to see an intimate view of this this part of the war like we did in Restrepo or Hornet's Nest, both exceptionally well done documentaries with embed reporters, where they got to ride with them in the Humvees and stuff like that, or or you know Rolling Stone Generation Kill, where they got to ride the Humvees with them on the way to Baghdad. It's not that type of story. It can't be told in that familiar way. So they had to do something brand new. And for that, I feel like I should probably cut them a little slack. Well, yeah. And the way they managed to do that is they got everybody together long after the fact. So mm-hmm. I assume just in this last year or the year previously, and the filmmakers took all these these combat teams out, you know, camping, and they took them jeeping, and they took them out to see, you know, the, the monument that they have in New York about yeah. this conflict or whatever, and just recorded a lot of their interaction, got them to tell the story, and then did the best they could, obviously, to fill in whatever material they had that was filmed back in 2001 and 2002. And it worked out fairly cohesively. Um, Considering, yeah. I know that's one of the things that I brought up before is the biggest problem making documentaries is where do you find content? Like, if you're going to film a documentary about something that happened a long time ago, you don't get to create a shot list. You know, you're working with material that already exists. And a lot of the art in a documentary is how you're able to use that uh, pre-existing material and spin it in a way that fits a narrative. Um, because even in a documentary, people still want a beginning and a middle and an end, and they want like human insights and they want all these things that it's easy to create in a script. But yeah. when you're working with something that somebody else shot a long time ago with no intention of publishing, mm-hmm. um, it's a lot trickier. So, which is why movies like Zero Dark Thirty are popular, but documentaries are a lot harder to watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned they use a lot of maps. It's always fun to see how they compensate for not having. Like you said, there were no embedded journalists. Um, there was some footage, presumably, that the soldiers were taking themselves on rubbish That's cameras. the only way I think that they could have gotten that that footage, is, is actual servicemen there at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of it was just still photos. Yeah. They used a lot, of, a lot of animated maps trying to help you mm-hmm. see what was happening. Right. Um, a lot of, you know, it was produced, I think it was at least partially produced by CNN. It was like a CNN film. It was a CNN film, um, so, so I think uh, some of the journalists who did put it together... Must have worked for them, I don't know. Well, it's nice because it gave them access to a ton of stock footage, right? Oh, yeah. CNN had a lot. And then I could I don't know if CNN has like a specific style guide. I'm sure they do, but it felt 
CNN-ish. Felt um, like a special report. Yeah. You know, it did. It was it was kind of a 60 Minutes-ish style thing, which is familiar and comforting, comfortable, you know. It, it's a storytelling style that the entire country can, can latch onto really quickly, you know. Even down to, like, the typefaces in the supers mm-hmm. or, you know, the kind of... You know what I'm talking about. When they report on a car accident, they show a stock footage of, you know, some car accident yeah. to, to help you imagine. They did the same <laughs> thing a lot with this. So they're talking yeah. about bombing out a motorcade, and they have, like, this really kind of blurry... You can't really tell quite what's going on, but it looks like there's some cars in there and, like, yes. some explosions. And one, you know? one by one, they fade away and stuff like that. And it's, it's you know, it, it, that type of, of visual storytelling, to me, always makes me think of, you know, in, in old movies, there's always that scene before the battle where they pull out a stick... And they draw in the dirt. All right, here's your division of cavalry. Here's over here. Napoleon's going to come up this way. And we're going to just rain down an unholy storm of steel with artillery over here and everything I got. And then all of a sudden, here comes the Navy behind. You know, and it just, it makes me think of playing with G.I. Joes and stuff like that, which is super fun. But uh, <laughs> I was going to say as an adult, it's not as fun. But then I realized I was calling myself an adult and, and hearing those words out my mouth were just, it's just. I still yeah. do it. You know, I still play with G.I. Joes. <laughs> Not quite as rewarding it's as it used to be. It's not as rewarding as it used to be. Yep, yep. But it's true. I mean, there. I, I it's a coping mechanism. When you don't have footage, you have to figure out what to what visuals to put over because it can't just be an extended interview. No. Um, and it, it didn't bug me, but it. I wonder. That's one of the things I think that kept it from being really exceptional is that it didn't feel like a, a an especially creative solution to that problem. No. Um, I don't have a, a better one to offer, but I feel like yeah. Um. <laughs> There, there's talented people. I mean, the director, Greg Barker, I've not seen anything he's done before, but obviously he has chops. Um, mm-hmm. It was a, a good documentary. It was well done. It was. Um, you have to have a lot of... You have to have a good reputation to be able to pull people together into this kind of documentary thing either. Like, what I'm trying to say is you can't get a bunch of teams of retired combat vets to... <laughs> Unless they trust you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought the editing was actually very good. Robin Schneider was the editor. Mm-hmm. And again... There's so much footage that goes into these things. You get hours. Yeah. Um, including, like, all of CNN's video archives. Like, imagine picking Man. through those, looking yeah. for valuable stuff. Um, <laughs> Schneider cut it together in such a way that it, it flowed well. You know, it was seamless. One of the, the coolest things was... Well, so, it's not like spoiler alert. This is all stuff that happened 15 years ago. But um, <laughs> We kind of know how this particular stuff ends, you know? Do we? The, the, the story well, the, continues. The story continues, but this particular story does kind of have a beginning, middle, and end because most of these guys are retired. There's a handful of them that, that were really generous with their time in interviews and, and gave really impressive insights who are still uh, service members. You, you can see, I mean, just <laughs> one guy who was a captain at the time there is now a lieutenant colonel. Yeah. And uh, still in, still working, you know. But uh, there were only two casualties out of these two original teams on the ground, both of them as a result of friendly fire. Yeah. So um, the team goes back, you know, presumably last year and helps this kid, the the surviving son of one of the casualties, rebuild his motorcycle. So I don't know if that was the idea of uh, the director, if that was something that he just stumbled onto. But that was that was what made this a very good documentary for me, because it gave you that beginning and that middle and that end. It was like right. a real human storyline. In addition to them telling, you know, the history of it, uh, you have them showing up at the kid's house and him talking a little bit about his dad and how he was killed. And right. then them wheeling out the, the motorcycle and it being this kind of fun bonding experience. And then, of course, it ends with them all going back, unveiling the, the motorcycle that the dudes from the 
the team have, have pimped out and it works now and it runs and seeing, you know, the kid's emotions as he sits down on the bike. Sits down on his father's bike, which, you know, is, is one of the main things I got back from. And and just with the that level of, of stupid tragedy that that particular family dealt with was really, really, I don't know, life-affirming, humbling to see how they they sucked it up and, and dealt with it in such a uh, such a a not destructive way you know and uh the motorcycle thing was just really really cool to watch and and really uh kind of sobering you know that was really good but it was it was nice that it had multiple levels of storytelling if that makes sense i mean yeah. had it been like a straight history channel like not that the History Channel even does that anymore, but back when the History Channel used to do history and it was just like a very straightforward presentation of events here on a timeline. This happened happens. and then this happened. But yeah. now, aliens? <laughs> question mark? Yeah. Uh, I used to love the History Channel. But it wouldn't have been as engaging. You know, they had this yeah. more modern timeline, um, again, with a ton of human interest that made everything that much more meaningful because it made it relevant. Something that I really appreciated was it told a story without voiceover did you notice that mm-hmm. which is not really a document so i'm i'm used to like ken burns documentaries my dad watched a lot of ken burns documentaries ken burns documentary the war was fantastic i watched that i think last summer yep last summer actually and i got it done in a week and it was just it was fantastic loved every minute of it so much voiceover so many still photos and just you know you get great great orators and, and wonderful Academy Award winning actors to read these these great, great scripts. This had no voiceover. Only voices you heard were people who were actually there. So we watched uh, Live By Night the, last week, and mm-hmm. I remember you saying to me at the end that if there's ever a time where you have to have a voiceover over a montage, you've lost yeah, in a, a fiction film. <laughs> um, I agree with that. So it was cool that even in the documentary, they were able to keep it just with the interviews, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, again, maybe it was because they didn't have enough... <laughs> footage to lay anything else over while we talked uh, but um yeah no that was cool i remember noticing that as well yeah no i appreciate that very much so with it being it was interesting to me that it's produced by cnn right yeah so sundance is an independent film festival mm-hmm. what does independent mean um, cnn strikes me as a fairly large media company you know yeah. they're, they're doing all right they're not necessarily CNN. in the film business maybe that's why they're considered independent because they're not part of like you know the the hollywood machine in in the film sense they are Ultimately, just like every other news corporation, essentially they're entertainment industry. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of weird lines being drawn throughout the entire film. Everything we were just talking earlier today about how the uh, O.J. Simpson uh, Made in America show, which well, it, it premiered at Sundance, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I seem to remember. We'll fact okay, check that one. Yeah, but yeah I'm not sure. But but you know, it was on TV. You watched it on TV. It's been nominated for Oscars, and that was a little bit confusing to me because I thought those were for movies. Uh, yeah, especially where the line between TV and film has been so blurred. Yeah. I think it's interesting that Sundance accepts submissions from a major TV company. Yeah, um, I don't understand. Would they accept something from Amazon? Works. Would they accept something from Oh, Netflix? absolutely, yeah. No, Amazon. You think they would? Oh, sure, yeah. Huh, interesting. I think, anyway. Uh, uh, in fact, well, no, I'm thinking Manchester by the Sea, which is an Amazon well, film that is with the Oscars, not with Sundance. Was it Manchester by the Sea premiered at Sundance? Did um, it? It did. Was oh, it, okay. Was it an Amazon original or was it picked up? Were the rights picked up by Amazon? I think it was an Amazon original. I think. Interesting. The <laughs> new media. How fascinating. Like, I, how confusing. Even... <laughs> how homogenized. 
how intriguing and boring at the same time. I don't understand it at all. Well, TV is getting to be better than I film just like watching a lot of the movies, time. and I definitely like TV. And I agree, TV is mostly better than movies, I especially mean, from a writing perspective. Like I've oh said goodness, a million yes. times, that the best writing happening right now in any field is in TV Episodic writing. TV. Uh, you know, yeah. Breaking Bad. Uh, House of Cards, Fargo, Fargo. I mean, even freaking Veep. We were talking about like <laughs> best uh, dialogue of anything ever. It's yeah. so so fast and so great, and and just the meta dialogue is is fantastic in that show. So for all of you that are actually like true independent filmmakers, that sucks for you because yeah. <laughs> Sundance is going to be taking you know Amazon originals for forever and not you know the stuff that's actually coming from down on the ground. Uh, don't worry. Outlast the SOB. Sundance will get crushed under its own weight eventually, and you can invent a whole new everything. And man, capitalism is great, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a good time to bring that up as well because this is officially the the end of, I think, the Sundance Festival. I think tonight yeah. were, was the last showing. They might have like some matinee stuff tomorrow, but I'm sure. But tonight was the very last showing of this particular film in in the venue that we were at. Yeah, yeah. We watched it at the Grand Theater in Salt Lake. Um, the the credits rolled and they just didn't bring the house lights back up. <laughs> I was like, all right, folks, go home. It like, was, it's all over. Yeah, just um, yeah, we're done. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Interesting to contrast it with the Little Hours, which I saw very early on in the Sundance program of events, yeah. where there's all this buzz and you know the the cast and crew comes out to do a Q and A at the end and like everybody's excited to be there. <laughs> Everybody looked a little haggard at the end of tonight's screen. They had so. this tiny, really cute girl get up there who's uh, I'm making her sound like she's a six year old. No, she was she was like the manager of the theater but she was really soft-spoken into a microphone. Hey, guys, I'm Amy. I'm the manager of the theater, and uh, this is the last screening, so... Scattered applause. Scattered like, applause. Obligatory over. applause, you know, and, and uh, yeah. Anyway, enjoy the movie. She had to read the title on a card. This is uh, Legion of Brothers. Yep. And it's the last one. My goodness, I'm tired. You know, <laughs> got off the stage, and... There it went, you know. Rolled it, yeah. There was very little fanfare for this one, which I mean, maybe isn't fair. Like this was a good film; it was solid. I actually, I know that I'm going to rank this one a lot higher than I did uh, the Little Hours. Yeah. Um, zero star power. I mean, there's no one really affiliated with this movie that you've heard of. No. Um, unless Greg Barker is a legend, and I haven't heard of it, which is very possible. Yeah. <laughs> if he isn't, he could be. He he, could he's be he has made other award winning documentaries about about the uh, he made one about the hunt for Osama bin Laden. I think it was called Hunt for Osama bin Laden. Or something close to that, actually. His, okay, let's be honest. His titles suck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Legion of Brothers. Is the worst thing about the documentary, honestly, is the title. Hands down, the title is terrible. I don't know why. It's just... it's just. We, we argued like before about to what degree it's a Band of Brothers knockoff. I still think Legion of Brothers... And I mean, even as the title card plays, it goes Legion of Brothers. And then behind it, there's like this kind of cut-out figure of this group of men in military equipment. And it's right. very clearly like a a nod to the the cover of the book, you know, Band of Brothers and the cover of the, the DVD case. <laughs> okay, um, okay. Got it. Got to just counter-argument real, real quick here. Those photos and DVD case of Band of Brothers and stuff like that, yeah, they're, they're really cool and whatnot and stuff like that. And, you know, Modern Warfare video game covers look all the same too. That's because in actual wartime, when guys get together to take a photo, they all take the exact same freaking photo. It's like wedding photos are all the exact same freaking photo. Everybody, bunch up real quick. Hey, JT, scooch in a little bit more, okay? Everybody get a smile. Say, Osama, your butt is grass, you know? And then click, done, cool. And and those are the photos that they have. So, yeah, they all look the same. It's not necessarily a knockoff. It's just, it's like almost, not necessarily tradecraft. It's just like entropy, you know? Or, or Occam's razor or something where the simplest thing is, is the thing that's going to happen. 
That's very funny. I, I feel like I like deep down they wanted to call this band of brothers. Because why wouldn't they? It's such a fantastic thing. It's the Henry V reference and all that. But uh, it's they they're late to the party. You know, it already happened. Um, but no, a, a very insightful film. Um, Legion of Brothers uh, kind of showed a perspective, like you said, a more intimate human perspective on yeah. uh, the events of the early days of the Afghanistan war that you don't get from watching TV normally. No, um, yeah, you definitely know. As you watch TV in the next couple of weeks, you will because this movie is coming out on CNN to watch with commercials. Um, <laughs> so I don't know why you're still listening. Like you, you're just going to see the whole thing in a few minutes anyway. But it's like the beginning of the Simpsons movie. Boring. Sit down, Dad. I don't know why these theaters full of morons that could watch this movie for free on TV. They paid to be here. Everyone in here is a giant loser, especially you. Points at the screen. Yeah. I think as I sit next to Josh in movies, these are the things he's thinking about. I'm going like... Mm. I lower the IQ of the entire room. Yeah. This typography feels a lot like the typography they use on all CNN products. And Josh is going, especially you. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I'm kidding. That's not the dynamic at all. But it totally is. <laughs> I, I, give, I give Legion of Brothers 6 out of 10. 6 out of 10. It was better than average. Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with an, uh, an 8 out of 10 because they accomplished something that was intimate and special without voiceover, which is something that's difficult to do in fiction. And they did it with fact. And that's pretty awesome to me. I, that's incredibly impressive. And it's also a story that, you know, probably wouldn't have gotten told any better than, than what they did. So, Legion of Brothers, I think that gives it an aggregate score of 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Very solid. Uh, so this concludes our Sundance coverage. We're probably going to get back to interviewing um, filmmakers who are actually... Making movies now. Making movies, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I hope if any of them will return our calls, you know. I don't have to wait at the back of a freaking wait list. Yeah. Or, uh, I'll be so glad not to have to do that for another Less line waiting months. in the weeks to come. Very, very happy about that. So the Lion's Chair Podcast is, again, supported by corporate sponsors. Uh, if you want to get us, tweet us at uh, Lion's Chair Pod on Twitter or else... Um, you can contact me by email, tannerwadsworth at gmail.com. Uh, if you like the song we played at the beginning, that was from an artist named Matt Steady. He's a friend of mine. Um, the song's called One More Round. You should check him out at his website, mattsteady.com. You can find a lot more information about him there and download the album. <laughs>